Good evening, everyone. This is the second podcast episode of Clubhouse Talk. This is one of your co-hosts, Kylie Morrison. Alongside with me is uh, Joseph Mraz. You want to say hi to everyone, Joe? Yeah, good evening. Oh, happy uh, beginning of Thanksgiving week to you guys. This is on Sunday night leading into Thanksgiving. Um, so for for this, thank you to everyone who gave our first episode a listen. We uh, we really appreciate a lot of the a lot of the feedback that we got. Um, we we hope that uh, those of you who shared your comments with us that we we tried our best to take it to heart, and we'll uh, we'll see if we can improve on this one this one any bit more. So, in this uh, second episode, we've got three segments that we'll uh, be glad to talk about. So we're gonna. The first uh, rendition of the college football playoff rankings this year will be coming on Tuesday night. So me and Joe are going to share our top fours and give our opinions of who we think should be in and who should be out of the playoff if the season ended today. Uh, the Braves also made a free agent signing this past week, and we'll be uh, we'll go into depth a little bit on on that player. And then uh, to wrap it up tonight, we're going to talk about the NFL and take a look at the playoff picture. As we're starting to get into the holidays, this is when the playoff race really starts to tighten up, and we'll talk about teams and, and some games that happened earlier today. So, to begin, we'll uh, we'll go to we'll go to the college football side. So, it was a exciting day yesterday. We got a lot more games than we did last week, Joe. Um, a lot of COVID yeah. cancellations last week. We got we got a whole lot more in this mm-hmm. week, and a lot more a lot more games happened. So, uh, any any particular games that. You, that caught your eye before we get into rankings or uh the one that really caught my eye was just how bad ohio state's defense is to be completely honest and that's coming from an ohio state fan that's the worst i've ever seen their defense look and yes like indiana is an improved team they've got some good coaching uh Penix is an awesome quarterback but to give up 500 yards in the air to anybody much less indiana is embarrassing i mean i i couldn't care if it was peyton manning out there throwing the rock in his prime you don't give up 500 yards to an inferior team and that was just glaring and if i was alabama clemson or notre dame or you know whatever other team is seemingly going to be in the college football playoffs which which will most likely be ohio state in there just with how weak the rest of the big 10 looks i'd be licking my chops right now because that defense can't stop anybody in the air yeah, uh, I could not agree more with you. I, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, I think, when I get into my uh, picks and my reasonings of where some rankings fall. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Ohio State looked absolutely – they looked fantastic in the first quarter. They shut Indiana down. They had 28-7 to lead. And then before you knew it, uh, it was, it was you know, back and forth down a touchdown and ended up being – 42-35, and Indiana had a chance to, to tie the game up. So, uh, I mean, that kind of performance at home, I know there's really no fans, so at home in a way really doesn't mean too much in this this type of year. But still, nonetheless, that's not the that's not the performance you're looking for when Ohio State plays its first quality uh, offense, frankly, this season uh, comparative to their opponents to begin the year so far. So, that that yeah. is certainly something that I think you and every other Buckeye fan <laughs> has got to be uh, a little nervous about moving forward, and something that uh, Ryan Day is going to have to definitely figure out a way to clean up before before we get into the playoffs, because they will get absolutely smoked by some of these offenses that they might face. Yeah, and they they lost a lot of starters on defense. I mean, they lost Akuto as a top 
three pick and then Arnett was another first round pick in the in the secondary but it's Ohio State I mean they're top three recruiting classes or top five at the worst pretty much every year and it's got to be a next man up mentality and Sean Wade had an interception but other than that he's been pretty disappointing this year um, so hopefully they'll step up some other games that were pretty notable Northwestern beating Wisconsin that one, uh, that one was definitely a shock to me. I did not see that one. Northwestern absolutely shut down Wisconsin that game, and I did mm-hmm. not see that coming. Um, and hey, prop, props to them. Uh, that Northwestern team's playing well. Looks like they'll you'll probably get to see them up against Ohio State at the end uh, at the end of the end of the Big Ten championship game. So that'll be, yeah. that'll be something to watch forward to. And that win gave Northwestern the number one strength of record wins. Really? Total, yeah, in the NCAA so far. I think they're a slot above Bama and Notre Dame right now. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Northwestern, the Wildcats got something brewing up there in Chicago. But, <laughs> Boy, um, when, yeah, hey, you know what? Make it all the way to the uh, Big Ten Championship game, and you never know what happens, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, if they can get past Ohio State and go undefeated, I mean, that's they, a bid. I assume yeah. that I they would say, that's get in the bid. That's a bid right yeah. there, so – and then outside of that, it appears that Georgia might have found their quarterback. Uh, JT <laughs> Boy, Daniels I think every UGA good, fan but... has been saying, waiting for that for the whole year, and it's it's a wonder that they waited this late to finally play JT Daniels. I know they said his knee wasn't healthy enough, but I Didn't think – Didn't have any problems yesterday. Yeah, I – can't help but uh, but think for Georgia fans what those uh, what those Bama game and especially that that Florida game would have looked like with uh, JT Daniels back there instead of Stetson Bennett. Um, just I don't out. think the Bama game would have looked much different. Maybe I the, Florida. I think Florida would have looked different. I mean, yeah. that offense took a new took took a step up into a new gear. Those wide receivers almost it looked like they just got some new energy, and I'm just knowing that they had somebody back there will, uh, that was able to sling the rock to them, frankly. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think Georgia's had a few years now of trying to – I mean, Jake Fromm was adequate. I wouldn't say he was a great quarterback, though. I think a he was a game manager. I was, yeah, I was going to say, if there's any way to describe him as a game manager, he wasn't the guy who, with a minute and 30 left, you're going to be like, all right, I want the ball in his hand. He's going to get the job done. He didn't, doesn't really have that killer instinct. And not to say JT Daniels does, but – it, he's better than Stenson Bennett. I mean, Stenson Bennett is not your answer. It's a great story, Stetson is, but he, it's yeah, not. But. It's not the answer for Georgia to be winning winning championships. And hey, mm-hmm. now now they got their their fans will be looking forward to going forward because JT is not going to. I don't. I can't see any reason why he'd be leaving this year. So they've got they've got JT coming back next year with some some up promise of what what might be coming into twenty twenty one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I thought he was incredibly talented when he played a true, as a true freshman at USC. And, I mean, he looked looked good last night, so we'll see. It's hard to judge off a pretty small sample size. Yep, we'll, we'll see how the rest of the season finishes out for him. But, I, I, I mean, there is a reason why he was the most sought-after sought transfer quarterback in the market, you know, this past offseason. And it was a huge, huge get when Georgia got him. So it's finally starting to come, you know, to fruition for him. Yes, yes. But other than that, those were really the only – I mean, there was a lot of tight games. I guess the only other surprise is Penn State's 0-5. But oh, – I, uh, I think there's a battle right now for, for, you know, it seems like every week there's some new, you know, 
old school powerhouse school that's trying to become the laughing stock of college football. And, you know, as Tennessee fan, I'm kind of happy Penn State's taking <laughs> taking the reins up this year because Penn State truly is the most disappointing team in college football. And Tennessee's not far behind right now, I can tell you that. I mean, they had, once again, another another game that they walked in and they had a fantastic first half game plan and just a complete lack of results in the second half. The, the fact that Tennessee has been outscored now in the last five games in the second half, 105 to 14. I mean, I am not someone that blames everything on coaching or everything on the players. It, it, to me, it's a lot of depends on the situation, but it, that that is all coaching when it comes down to me because that's telling me that whatever game plan you have in the first half has been working in pretty much every one of these games aside from if you look at the Kentucky game, but that was turnover written in the first half, so that's a little bit different. But, I mean, other than that, they've been leading or within earshot at halftime of all these games, and it's like they walk in at halftime and they just assume the other team's not going to make a single adjustment. And yeah. The other That's team, what I was going to say. The other it's, team makes the adjustment, and then they're like, where'd this come from? We didn't see this in the first half. You know, it, it blows my mind that this has happened now five weeks in a row. Tennessee's now lost five games in a row for the first time in program history by double digits. That's absolutely astounding. That goes back to 1891. Um, they, <laughs> they have uh, – they rushed for a hundred yards in the third quarter and they didn't score a point. They got outscored in that quarter, 10 to nothing. That is really, really hard to do. It's impressive. There, there are so many flaws and I, I, I know, trust me as, as a fan, I get the pain of losing, but this is not the time to be changing or calling for a head coaching change. I mean, did did everybody in Vol Nation forget how the last one went in 2017? I mean, it's not like we're getting the cream of the crop and we're not getting our first pick when it comes to these coaching searches the last few times. Um, I'm not saying Pruitt's going to be the answer, but boy, they have got to they've got to ride this out a little bit longer. They Dooley was here three years. Butch was here five years. You can't keep – you can't go 3-5-3 three, three with your head coaching 10 years and expect to keep drawing in top talent. This is – this offseason, they need to make serious changes on the coaching staff. Um, I don't know if it's Cheney. I don't know if it is the lack of talent at quarterback with Garantano continuing to be the starter, um, and that's hindering the offense and handicapping them a little bit. But they have got to – make some serious play calling changes when it comes uh, to this offseason, figuring out a new strategy on offense, something that is not so circa 2000. I mean, it, it looks like they're trying to run off the offenses back in the 1990s where, where they're just trying to shorten the game as much as possible. I mean, they're playing scared. They want to run the ball. And honestly, it worked against Auburn for the most part of the game. And you throw a pick six after you've run the ball straight down their throats for an entire drive. And, the whole game completely flips and changes right there. So uh, I won't continue to harp and go on too big of a soapbox, but I will say that I, I'm going on record as I will be in the smaller portion of uh, Vault Twitter right now that says that there's calling for Pruitt's head. And I'm saying that there needs to be a call of patience. Buyouts, uh, 
the money just you, you can't continue to keep coming up with the money and more importantly you won't be able to attract the top talent of head coaching that you want if you continue to fire everybody after three years when they barely even had a chance to make an impact so no i agree i think pruitt inherited a, a dumpster fire of a situation from the i don't think people knew how bad it was I don't even think I know how bad it was. And I like to think that I'm pretty in tune with the program, but it's, it was a full they had, He had to do a full culture. I don't even think Pruitt knew how bad the situation was when he took that job. No, I mean, Tennessee has been recruiting. I mean, not as well as they did when they were the powerhouse teams of the nineties and late two thousands, but they still gotten decent recruiting classes and they haven't been able to translate that into anything since probably like 2006. Yeah, I mean, they've be, had... Or at least on a consistent basis. They've had they, some good they've years. Had, yeah, they've had their spurts and moments, but, um, I mean, they're the last... Pruitt got a top 10 class last year. They're a top 10 class this year. Um, he's starting to get to the point where he's getting the talent in there that he wants, that he that he needs to run his scheme, and he's at the crossroads where he's got a lot of Butch's players that are left that are the veterans that have run you know, they, they are the more experienced game time players and they're the less talented players comparative to the freshmen that frankly haven't gotten any practice time because of COVID this year. So it's, it's a tough crossroads. I'm, I know Will Muschamp was fired last week, but it was his fifth season. And frankly, I don't see Pruitt getting fired. Yeah. The end of the season. I think I, maybe after the season, if it continues to stay bad, but I don't think they're going to fire him. Aside from, a, huge no off, a, aside from an off-field issue, I don't think Pruitt gets fired no. this year. I think that he comes in next season squarely on the hot seat. And no, there's no doubt that this Vanderbilt game this weekend is a must win. There's no doubt about that. I mean, look at the history of Tennessee coaches and anybody that loses to Vanderbilt. I can tell you right then and there, you're not going to have a very fun off-season if you lose to Vanderbilt. No. But, I mean, what what is the, the benefit of firing a midseason? I mean, odds are they won't play in a bowl game. I mean, because no. if you fire This them, year, I think everybody's in. getting into a bowl game. Well, Actually. okay. Outside of the COVID stuff. But we'll we'll set that aside. But it's not like having an interim coach is going to somehow right the ship. No, exactly. Gonna, I mean, it'll just be a dumpster fire the rest of the year. You might as well ride it out, see if they can catch some momentum, see if they can bring in a good recruiting class. But I don't think firing him is the answer. Yeah, I mean, you, you're you just not going to be able to continue to hold on to, to classes if you keep canning people so quickly, and, and nothing ever is going to get changed. So I, I'm i fully in the believer that Pruitt finishes out this year. They make the changes in the uh, on the staff that need to be changed. Cough, cough, coaching, or the uh, quarterback coach, cough, cough, uh, offensive line coach, maybe a few others I can, I can rattle off here, but uh, make those changes. Hire in some new people, and then Pruitt's going to come in next year coaching for his job in 2021, and we'll see what, what type of product he can put out on the field. But All right, so uh, let, let's, get some, uh, let's get some rankings in here. Let's see if we can, we can either agree with our, our listeners or uh, maybe provide some hot takes that people are going to start calling us lunatics here, Joe. So why don't you uh, lead us off with your, with your – if the college football season ended today – and the playoff was going to happen next weekend. What would you? Who would you be putting in as your top four? My top four. Uh, my number one is Alabama. I don't think that's any debate, really. I think they have the best all-around team. Mac Jones was kind of the question coming into the season, and he's been phenomenal. 
he's a Heisman candidate probably. Yeah. If, I mean, I think behind Trevor Lawrence, he's the second best player right now at the quarterback position. The argument could be made for Justin Fields, but um, as a true quarterback, true pocket passer, I think Mac Jones is the second best throwing ball behind Trevor Lawrence. And then second, Ohio State, the the difficulties at defense that I talked about earlier, but I still think their offense is pretty unbelievable. Um, Justin Fields is pretty phenomenal. They got a handful of receivers that are very talented. will be playing on Sundays here shortly. They have yet to really settle into that classic Ohio State ground and pound run game. Um, Master Teague's pretty good. He's starting to come around, but he's not – J.K. Dobbins or Ezekiel Elliott, there's no question about that. And then they have uh, Steel Chambers, who's getting a few more reps uh, in a backup role, but he's a pretty talented running back. Well, shout out to our uh, high school alum there. Yeah, yeah, went to our high school, but he's a tremendous talent. He'll be getting a lot more looks, hopefully later this season and into the next season. And then third, I have Notre Dame. Um, I think the Irish are better this year than they have been in the past. And they're actually the real deal. Ian book has risen to the occasion in the past few games. He looked unbelievable against Clemson. I know they had their injuries, blah, 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 but they still beat him. They still won the game and they weren't supposed to. And he, he's been awesome. Uh, the, the Irish have managed to overcome some hurdles that they haven't done in past seasons. So they're number three and then Clemson's number four and I mean, even though Clemson lost to Notre Dame when they're healthy, I think they're a no-doubter top-four team. So those are my top four, Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and then Clemson. No real surprises, but those are, I think, the top four teams and those who are. I think yeah, we'll get in. I think you will be pretty well spot on if you were trying to make a prediction for uh, where the playoff committee is going to rank, our, rank the teams uh, come Tuesday night when they release that out. Um, probably in that exact same order. But so uh, I will say mine will be a little bit different than that. Um, I agree with you that Alabama is the clear number one team in the nation right now. Um, Undefeated really haven't been tested at all to this point. They have risen to the occasion and beat down on every single team. I know they played A&M a little bit earlier on before A&M got on its run, but they still handled that team handily um in that game so there's there's clearly no doubt i i do wonder about alabama's defense a little bit myself um i went to the tennessee bama game this year and i saw a little bit of it they just seem slower this year i don't know if it's the athletes or just not as good as they've had in past years on the defense um but i i think that there are some holes there which is pretty consistent frankly with all these top teams there, there are flaws. There's no true number one team, in my opinion, this year, like there have been in past few years. Um, at number two, I actually have Notre Dame at number two. And I say that because I have Ohio State at number three. And I think that Notre, because of Ohio State's defense that I saw on Saturday against Indiana, I believe that Notre Dame has the better team. Uh, they... I know they played Clemson when Clemson did not have Trevor Lawrence, but frankly, Clemson didn't have a problem scoring the ball without Trevor Lawrence against Notre I, Dame. 
I can't remember the exact figure, but they put up like 470 yards in the air without Trevor. Yeah, I'd, the, I'd be hard-pressed that he'd throw for, what, 600? I, I, if that big I was going to say, I, I mean, I might be, you know, in the minority here, but I'm pretty comfortable, but I'm pretty confident saying, at least in my opinion, that Notre Dame wins that game if Trevor Lawrence plays because Notre Dame, Trevor Lawrence was, does not play on defense. Trevor Lawrence was not the one that was trying to be out there and stop Notre Dame on that last drive in regulation. Notre Dame came, rose to the occasion. They drove down the field. They tied it up. They put it in overtime, and their defense made the plays when it mattered in overtime. They got the sack when it mattered most, and they stopped them. I mean, it's as simple as that. And with Trevor Lawrence in there or not, I don't think that that changes the outcome of that game. Uh, so I, that's why I have number Notre Dame at number two. I genuinely think that they're the real deal this year as well. Um, which I know a lot of people are skeptical about after the last couple times that Notre Dame has gotten, gotten their, uh, position on the big stage. And so, like I said, I have Ohio state at number three, assuming that they continue to roll through the big 10, but they, they certainly have their questions on the defensive side, which will be interesting to see how they correct that moving forward. Um, and then finally at number four, and this is purely because I'm saying if the season ended today, I am putting BYU in at number four. And there's a lot of people that are probably laughing at me right now, wondering what I'm talking about. If you have not watched BYU play this year, please, please do so right now. They're only, they only have one more game scheduled and it is for December 12th against San Diego state. Highly likely that BYU is going to get to play some PAC 12 teams moving forward here uh, quite soon, possibly even Washington this coming weekend, if they can figure out the details and boy, I hope they do because BYU needs as much exposure as possible. This team has some serious horses on it. Their quarterback, I believe his name is Zach Wilson is Truly a Heisman contender. That kid can fling the ball over the place. Their athletes are fast. They have given the most points that they've given up to a single team this year has been 26 to Houston. They're winning by an average of 32 points per game. I know they're not playing a lot of people, but they're doing what you want in these, quote, lesser opponent games. They're beating up on the teams that they're supposed to handily. They've had one close game. One one close game that they won 27 to 20 against UT San Antonio. Other than that, it has been absolute throttling. And I think that if there was ever a year that the playoff committee should just say, screw it and let a team in and see what happens. It is 2020 because why not? <laughs> because as sports fans, we need some semblance of normalcy. We don't need BYU marching in there, playing Alabama and losing sixty-six to three. It, I just has that been any I different under, than the last couple semifinals we've seen? No. To be fair, no. But at least they had a chance. <laughs> at least you could sit there going up to the game and say, you know what? Hey, maybe if everything goes right, Notre Dame can beat Clemson, or maybe if everything goes right, Michigan State can beat Alabama. But it's just. If I was sitting there and I'm, I mean, let's say I'm on ESPN, I'm a sports analyst. How do I even try to drum up some scenario where BYU beats Alabama? And I get the sentiment. I get that they're playing every team that they've had. It's out of their control. They're winning and slicing and dicing everybody who put them up against. But in the reality of the situation, 
they just don't have the horses to compete. Well, I'm just curious of what's going to happen if, assuming this rolls down the stretch, Alabama beats Florida in the SEC championship game. You're going to have a two-loss Florida team sitting there. If Notre Dame beats Clemson again, you're going to have, at bare minimum, a two-loss Clemson team sitting there at the end of the season. The Big 12 is an absolute just uh, they're just a, a dumpster fire out there. They they cannot figure out what they're doing. And then the Pac-12 jumped into this about five weeks too late to be able to even logically think about putting anybody in the playoffs. So it, it's a matter of what you're going to do in that situation of who you're going to put in. Is it going to be a two-loss team that didn't even win their conference? Or are you going to give this mid-major team and just go for it? And frankly, I would like to see it happen. Maybe – you don't probably other a lot of people also don't, but maybe I just love that Cinderella story. And I, I really want to see that happen this year, whether it works out great or not. I think this is the year to do it. If there is one. And I think that there is legitimate path for a BYU or frankly, even a Cincinnati to get into the playoff this year. I mean, I'll give it to you that if they're going to do it on a year, do it a year where there's not going to be fans and, Dude, make it a year where yeah. it's already been a joke anyway. But honestly, to your point, the more I've thought about it as you've presented your argument, I wouldn't mind seeing them do it just so we can put this issue to bed in years to come. Think, Yeah, think <laughs> about how many years we have debated, could the team do it? Could they do it? Like a UCF situation or something like that? Yeah, exactly. So you know what? Yeah. Put them in there. Let it play itself out. If they compete, then we have our answer. And if they get steamrolled, which, hey, they – in my opinion, they probably will. Then you've gotten your answer, and we can all move on from this topic that the group of five teams, it's just too hard for them to compete with the true power five powerhouses. But that's my we'll soapbox see. on that. Um. <laughs> we'll see. I doubt if I, I doubt they'll end up getting in, like you said, unless some – I mean, who knows the scenarios that could play out. But There's still a lot of football left to be played. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't gamble that they. Get I'm it. really curious to see where the. I really want to see where the committee ranks Cincinnati and BYU come Tuesday to see how much, how much respect they're going to get coming in. Are they going to be in in that you know, six, seven, eight range, or are they going to be pushed way back into that ten, eleven, twelve, and and continue to get a and lot left of that, to die. Yeah, left to die out there and nowhere to go. So. I think come Tuesday night, we'll we'll see how likely this whole scenario is. Um, but oh, uh, so we can we we can. That's about uh, it for the college football state. I was gonna say, yeah, we can we can move on a little bit to uh, the next topic, which uh, we said was gonna be the Braves made a uh, free agent signing. Of course, we release our podcast on Sunday night. And we give our opinions on Trevor Bauer or uh, Adam Wainwright or anybody else that they should go out and sign. And then what do the Braves do? They turn around Monday morning and they hire some, they uh, go out and they sign a pitcher that I immediately text Joe and say, I know nothing about this guy. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I was in the same boat. I guess I was happy to see that we got a starting pitcher. I wasn't happy to see that it wasn't Trevor Bauer, as I said on the last podcast. But <laughs> I actually like this move by the Braves, believe it or not. And those who know me well enough know that I'm, I guess, ultra skeptical of every free agent signing that the Braves have ever made because I kind of am one of those people that I set my sights on one guy, and if I don't get him, then it's an uproar. And uh, 
I actually liked it. I, I like that he's had some decent numbers, better numbers. He's a veteran presence. He looked really good last year after coming off an injury. I also have always kind of liked left-handed pitchers just for whatever reason. I think it's a different dynamic that players don't see all that often. And I think it's a good move. I think we paid too much for him. That's the only part I don't like. I would have liked to see us get probably more in the seven to eight million a year range. I think yeah, one year, one year, eleven million for Drew Smiley is truly about the only thing that I'm going to disagree with on this signing. Um, I mean, it's just a little healthy. It it is a little healthy. (laughs) Yeah, I I was thinking the same thing. Of I'm really surprised that that he signed for that much. Um, It's interesting because. Like we said on the last podcast, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how the market shapes out and what the value of these pitchers are. I wonder if they went to a Trevor Bauer or somebody like that and realized what his asking price was going to be and just realized that this isn't what they're going to work with. Frankly, $11 is more than I thought they were going to be wanting to spend considering some of the other pieces mm-hmm. that they might be trying to bring in, like an Azuna and what they might. So in one sense, if I'm a Braves fan, I'm almost optimistic that the uh, the payroll might be – might not be going down as much as uh, some people feared it would be, but yeah, Drew Smiley. Uh, uh, so he began his career um, back for those who don't know much about him. Um, he began his career back in Detroit um, in 2012 and spent most of his career in the, uh, in the American league pitched there for a few years. He went to Toronto um, and then he was in Tampa Bay. So he uh, had his career high in innings was in 2016 when he pitched 175 innings and 30 starts for him. Um, and then he had Tommy John and he missed all of 2017. He then came back and in 2019, um, he was with the Phillies and the Rangers and he had a 6.55 ERA, mightily struggled. And then in this past year, a shortened season with the Giants, he actually found a lot of success with them. Um, his velocity was was back up this year, um, up a couple of ticks, which is a really really good sign for him. Um, he had four in four. He had forty two strikeouts and nine walks in his twenty six and a third innings. Uh, his strikeout rate was up there as high as anybody in in baseball. He just didn't qualify for the same amount of innings as somebody like a uh, Trevor Bauer or, uh, or any of those type of guys. Um, and, and so lefties against them this past year, they batted, they were three for 36. So that is a 0.083 batting average against him, which is absolutely fantastic. And if there's one thing I know is that there is a lot of power and a lot of really good left-handed hitting players in the NL East and mm-hmm. left-handed pitching is absolutely fantastic. So, I mean, this is pretty much cements their, their starting rotation. Now, if you start looking at it with Soroka and Freed and Anderson and now Drew Smiley, and then probably Kyle Wright filling out the fifth spot there, uh, which brings you two lefties and three righties, which would be pretty formidable in terms of you're going to get a, you're going to be able to mix a match against any lineup uh, going forward. And it'll, any left-handed pitcher is good to have against some of these left-handed bats that you're going to face in the NL East. So I, I'm all yeah. for this signing. And if you look at that rotation from the top down, it's pretty solid. I mean, let's assume Soroka comes back in full health, like the reports are saying. 
he's an ace. I mean, he's a stud. He's going to probably be a perennial all-star throughout his career if he stays healthy. Max Fried was a serious Cy Young contender. Drew Smiley, is if, if he stays on par with, with what he did last year, he's a solid starter. Ian Anderson has showed what he can do and even the short sample that we got from last year. And then Kyle Wright's got some room to improve, but I think he will. And I think that's a pretty solid rotation that you've built out for yourself for this season and years to come. No I mean, doubt. I, I mean, Drew Smiley will be more than a probably a one-year deal. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that. I mean, a like we said last week, he loves the uh, he loves these one-year deals. He uh, he really has been doing this a lot the last few off seasons. He he really likes these one-year deals. So he's not blocking the young talent that the Braves have coming up in the minors but he's bridging the gap for the year and he's, he's letting these guys try and build on, build their own, their own values, kind of bringing in these, you know, prove it, prove it contracts for these players. And it's, it's worked out great for them so far. Um, and just like last off season, they're striking early and the, now with the rotation seemingly locked down, they have the rest of the off season to worry about filling Ozuna's bat, assuming that there is a DH, which we don't know when we're going to get an answer on that. And then after that, you work on filling out the bullpen and the bench, and then there's your there's your 2021 roster for the Braves. So they, they've got one of their important pieces uh, solidified now. Got the rotation uh, perfectly locked up, and uh, they're going to be ready to go. And, and you know now you've got Bryce Wilson sitting sitting right there in that sixth spot ready to come up in case there's any injury or anybody falters. If, if Kyle Wright takes a step back or if Ian Anderson takes a step back, maybe Bryce Wilson can mm-hmm. step up. I mean, we saw in the playoffs, he can, he's got, he's got the uh, stuff to be able to compete. So having six or seven options, you know, potential is no, no problem for the Braves. I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. No, that's not too bad at all from a team that's struggled with pitching for the last five years. Yeah, especially, especially uh, I mean, I still think that we'll see if Freed or Soroka can, tr- I mean, Freed has done it so far, and we'll see if Soroka can come back from injury and continue it. But they're both still extremely young. But that the top thing that the Braves have missed, in my opinion, the last three or four years has been that quote-unquote ace pitcher, that guy that you hand the ball to and you know what you're getting at him every single night. You know you're getting six, seven innings of, one to maybe three run ball at worst. And that's where you're going to get out of them every five days. And Freed pretty well has done that for the last uh, season and a half or so. And he's getting himself in that, in that talk of becoming one and Sirocco was getting there, but at the same time, these guys are still young and I need, I want to see it for five seasons, not just two seasons. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. There's still a lot. I mean, I'm I'm very optimistic about the young young pitchers that the Braves have. So when I refer to them as you know being an ace or Cy Young, like it's bear that in mind. Like I'm not <laughs> guaranteeing that they're going to be successful for you know their the rest of their career like Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz were. But growing up in the '90s, early 2000s in Atlanta, that is what the pinnacle of success for me has always been. So that's, always that's been what Braves, that. that's what Braves winning formula was for, Yeah, you know, so two I decades. have that it image. Was, 
cemented into my mind and I keep seeing, you know, Soroka free Anderson Kyle that, as that one, as two, our, three. <laughs> yeah, as our new answer. But I mean, we'll see. We'll see if we get one world series out of it in the next 10 years, then I'll say I was right. I, you know, if, uh, if the Braves get one world series in the next 10 years, I think everything that they do will be validated. I, I mean, yeah. I think it's to a point where, it just takes that one ring. I mean, go look at Chicago. They got their one ring. They traded away Glaber Torres for Aroldis Chapman. And do you think that there is a single <laughs> Cubs fan out there that is griping about that they don't have Glaber Torres? No. They all remember that World Series, and they absolutely love it, and there is not a single person there that has any regrets. No, you're absolutely right. But – we got to get there. I mean, the Dodgers are the same way. The Dodgers were the team that everybody was like, yeah, they can't close for, I mean, what, since 2010 now pretty much? Yeah. And they got theirs and nobody's going to say anything about it. Yeah, but they got Kershaw. That's the way sports is. It's, it's a very short memory. Kershaw and the Dodgers got their rings, so they'll, uh, they'll all be there and ready to go. Um, and they'll – you know, I pretty much cemented Kershaw, and if he was already in my mind a cemented Hall of Famer, but getting that ring definitely punched his ticket into Cooperstown. No doubt, I agree. Uh, I mean, that's that's really all that happened um, too much in this week. Uh, obviously, I think a little, just a quick snippet that the Braves uh, kind of secondhand man to to Alex Anthopoulos was uh, hired to become the GM out in uh in LA for the Angels and they actually took a couple of he took a couple other Braves assistants with them um to fill out some roles out there. So I'll be interested to see how things in the front office do or don't change going forward. Um I know AA absolutely loved the guy. He was truly he was his you know right hand man um and worked a lot with him. But I don't think I don't think any of the Braves' idea uh, ideology is going to change. I think that they're going to stay pretty pretty on course for what they were doing. But it's just something to to throw out there in a little bit of note. Just keeping up with the rest of the sports world of at least what's happening with the Braves and the rest of the the rest of the baseball offseason so far has been extremely quiet. No uh, no signings of note. Um, and no, which is no, what we expected. We oh yeah, it to be slow as the teams figure out their money situation. I was actually surprised to see the Braves pull the trigger so early. And that back to your I. point, that I think it was probably because they put out a feeler for Bauer and heard what they wanted, and they're like, "Yeah, no chance." So let's get somebody off the market while we can before. Yeah, they they, the they wanted Braves move and get behind the eight ball, and everybody's gone. Yeah, seriously, they they wanted to set the market rates for themselves instead of letting other teams kind of yeah. do it for them. Which hey, I, I'm not going to disagree with. Sometimes. If you got your eyes on someone, then go out and get them right then and there. So, um, but as a Braves fan, if you're still holding on hope that we sign Trevor Bauer, I would say that is virtually non-existent at this point. Yeah, if we just pick, picked up Drew Smiley for 11 million. We're not going to go out and sign Bauer for, I mean, God knows how much they're going to have to pay. 30, him. 30, I'm guessing right. 30 million plus is what he's going to get on. Well, it also depends on the length of his deal, but. If it's a one-year deal like he says he's going to take, then, yeah, I would fully expect something in the $30, $35 million range, yeah. which is absolutely astounding. But, but yeah, I, I, that was pretty much all in the baseball world this week, like you said. And uh, so now we can, we can move on to our final segment, which is uh, 
we'll we'll sw- uh, switch it on over to NFL football, which I know we we really didn't go into much last week, um, and that was something that a few of you reached out and uh, specifically mentioned to get some NFL talk in there. So, all right, here you guys go. Let's uh, let's do our NFL segment here. Uh, you know, frankly, some really really good games today uh, in the NFL. Uh, in terms of at least extremely competitive, some really, really sad news for Bengals fans out there losing Joe Burrow. I don't, at least I haven't seen the, uh, the, I don't think that they diagnosed the injury yet. He tweeted, see you next year. So yeah, I mean, I did see that he, there is no doubt he's done for the year. I just don't think that they've quote unquote diagnosed what it's going to be. Um, which is really, really sad, and just add add Joe Burrow to the list of guys who have lost the lost their year uh, this year. And it seems like it, every week it's another top name players going down for the year. Um, every team has been yeah. affected by injuries this year. It's been it's been rough. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's a bummer. And he was off to a good start of the season and was possibly in the in the talks for offensive rookie of the year. So that's a bummer. And oh, yeah. first round pick, tremendously talented dude. Number and one, gamer. number one overall, absolute gamer. The guy is playing great. I mean, if I'm a Bengals fan, I'm still extremely optimistic, but it's uh, it's definitely got to hurt to see him go down, and and you just hope that it's nothing, nothing too hard to come back from. Uh, but it, whatever it is, it did not look good. If you if you go and see the replay. You know, here's your warning now. It's not a very pretty replay. So, yeah, no good. But like um, you said, a lot of other good games this weekend. Um, yeah, it started with the last. Started yes. on Thursday. The Seattle Cardinals game was a really good game. Uh, it was kind of, I've always respected the Seahawks. I wouldn't say if I'd say I like them, just being a, a Packers fan, it's kind of hard to pull for the Seahawks. But, I've always respected what they do. So to see them kind of get back on track, at least relatively. I was going to say, I think there are a lot of people, if you are following pleasant. them, if you are a fan of the Seahawks or you follow them, uh, they could be really happy to see what their defense did against the Cardinals in fairly, and t- honestly, a pretty uh, prolific offense there with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, um, uh, Kenyon Drake. They've got some weapons out there and, they held him to 21 points and kept him in check after getting throttled by Josh Allen uh, in Buffalo not uh, what a week and a half or a week ago. So uh, that was really, really good to see that defense, uh, especially start to see them get some pressure on the quarterback, which was the story of the night was that Kyler never had any time to throw the ball. Uh, yeah. So that was that was really, really good to see for Seahawks fans that their defense stepped up against a really high-quality opponent. You know what's nuts, too, is when I was watching this, I had I know people have made this comparison before, but I never really had the epiphany that I had on Thursday. Is Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson are eerily similar. Oh, both yeah. Both in, like, style of play, like, everything. They're both relatively undersized. They're both constantly getting chased by every single defender on the field, <laughs> it seems like, and yet they're both able to push the ball downfield. It's, it's really incredible to watch, and I was always – skeptical on Kyler Murray kind of the same honestly I was skeptical of Russell Wilson way back then but I was I was like there's no way Kyler Murray's the number one overall talent I would say he's definitely deserving of that number one overall <laughs> pick now because he's every bit if not better than the past yeah that the past they've three got, overall they've picks. got I think that he's team in Arizona one. rolling and they're they're gonna be a lot of 
that NFC West is going to be, I think, a lot of fun for a lot of years of the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the Niners. I mean, that is going to be a fun division year in and year out, I think, with the quarterbacks and and the uh, teams that they've got building out there. I mean, to oh, watch, I agree. To watch the fact that we're going to get to see Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson play each other two times a year for hopefully the next, you know, five, ten years. It, as a yeah. sports fan, you've got to be grinning from ear to ear. Yeah, and they're just fun to watch. They're two – I mean, Russell Wilson, he's an outstanding just role model guy. And if you don't like Russell Wilson, I'm sorry, it's on you. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, just the way they play the game is so fun to watch and so exciting after, you know, the era of just stand in the pocket, pocket passers. I, I'm sure it's not as fun for them, but seeing two guys just mad dash around the field and then hit somebody 30 yards down – down the steam is just a, a cool way to watch football. But I thought that was a great game. Um, a couple other good games this week. One's actually still currently unfolding with the, the Chiefs and Raiders. But um, yeah. Green, Green Bay Colts was a, a overtime battle that, uh, unfortunately, Indianapolis took the edge on. Yeah, and, I, uh, uh, I actually – I did not catch the end of that game personally. Um or at least live. I've seen the highlights now, but but that well, was, was a that was a fan. <laughs> it, it it looked like it was absolutely fantastic. Here is my problem: if you're Green Bay, you're up twenty eight fourteen at half, and you lose thirty one to thirty four. Yeah, it's just unacceptable. I mean, it's like turnovers. You got MVS fumbling. It's just. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, honestly, and I this is still – well, no. No, it's not. I take it back. I would request a trade tomorrow. I would, <laughs> I would just be up to my ears in dealing with this nonsense. It's like every year since the Green Bay's won the Super Bowl, it's like just leave it to Aaron. He can deal with it. He'll, he'll find a way to win. But he is nothing around him except Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, who – in my opinion, Devontae would be good everywhere else. Aaron Jones, he's probably made – He's probably the running back he is because everybody's so scared of Aaron throwing the ball. I think that opens a lot of opportunities for him. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Aaron Rodgers, as of today, deserves the MVP. Um, Just with what he's put together with this team and the people that have been in and out of the lineup. Um, Devontae was out multiple weeks. They lost uh, Lazard. Lazard, who's the number two. Yeah, they lost him for a while, just got him back. Tanyan was out i believe for a little bit aaron jones was out uh, i mean they have they have been a revolving door of players and somehow that team and, and somehow that team is still week after week putting up fantastic performances and frankly the colts are a surprising team to me i did not think early on that that team was legitimate at all i thought that early on they were kind of a pretender and well, hey, i think they, they were one of those teams that were Beating the Titans last Thursday uh, night, and now the Packers. Yeah, they were crippled, I think, by COVID, not being able to get the full season prep when Phillip Rivers gets in there. But now that he's kind of come into his own, he's – I mean, he'll probably be a Hall of Famer, I'd assume, or at least on the ballot. Yeah. uh, Um, So he's showing why that's the case. And they're a good team, top to bottom. They're they're pretty deep on both sides of the ball. But – Still Green Bay blowing a 14-point lead and only putting up three points at half was surprising. But anyway. Really hurts their uh, – I mean, 
it's going to be it's really really big when you start looking at uh starting to get down to the playoff seedings with this year obviously being only one team getting the bye. Uh it'll be interesting Speaking. it'll be interesting to see how you might look back at that game and and Packers fans say what if of getting that number 1 seed. Yeah. No, definitely. And speaking of playoff situations, the Cleveland Browns, what are your thoughts? After they beat the Eagles today, they go to seven and three. Do they make the playoffs? I want it on paper, on record right now. What do they do? Yes. The, uh, so for a little bit of backstory um, on me and Joe here, we have both been heavy, heavy fans on Baker and we have some mutual friends that do not share this opinion of Baker Mayfield. I have been big on Baker ever since I saw him come back on Tennessee as a freshman in 2015 and won in probably the best atmosphere Tennessee's had in the last decade at a game and brought him back from 17, nothing and won in overtime. At that point, I knew that kid was a, was an absolute player and it's taken him some time. He's had the revolving coaches, revolving OCs, but he's finally gotten in some, gotten somebody in there that's letting him do what he needs to do. It's not they're not making Baker do everything. It's not the Baker show. They're run first, and Baker's getting able or being able to play off of it from there. With Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt back there, they are they finally have the ability to just run the ball, and then. Oh, lo and behold, you've got your wide receivers out there. I know you got don't have OBJ now that he's hurt, but you still have Jarvis Landry out there. You still have Austin Hooper as one of your tight ends. I mean, they have targets to go to, but here's the thing. If you're a, looking at the Browns schedule going forward, they go on the road to Jacksonville next week. That should be a, should be a win. You still have the Giants on uh, tap this year, and you still have the Jets. And then your other three are the Titans, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh to end the year. So, I mean, that looks to me like three and three coming down the stretch. And you're looking at a 10 wins Brown team. Yeah. I, boy, oh boy, I'm, Cleveland is jumping up and down right now. I'm kind of in the same boat. I, like you said, I've been big on the Baker train, but I have, have to say this has to be his year. Because if he went out there, or I was saying it before this season, he started, he's performed pretty well. Nothing outstanding, but he's performed well enough to prove that he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, but if he were to go out there this season and just absolutely lay an egg, like we're talking five wins or something like that, then I think the Browns know that he's not their guy. But I do think that they will squeak out a play, playoff spot. Um, they definitely have a long way to go before I'd say they're serious contenders because I think any good team would – I mean, if you put them against Pittsburgh in the playoffs, you're going to get torched. It's just yeah. the reality of it. That, that'll be to see. Well, I guess you won't really get to see at the end of the year because Pittsburgh's most likely going to be resting their players by that point. But, I mean, if you look at it right now, the Browns are – if the season ended right now without the Raiders and Chiefs score coming in, uh, the Browns are sitting in the sixth six spot, but they're tied with the Bills, Colts, and Titans all at seven and three. So they're tied for the third, technically tied for the third best record in the ASC. I mean, they're looking at getting a legitimate top five seed, if not top three or four. I mean, 
the, and they've got a solid defense. This might be, it'll be interesting to see who they come up against uh, when it comes down to it. But not only are the Browns most likely going to make the playoffs, they might win a playoff game depending on who they play. Yeah. The NFC or the AFC is crazy competitive this season. The AFC is so deep from top to bottom. It, and it's, it's not that way in the NFC. Not that the NFC has bad teams, but I think every single team in the NFC has some major, major flaws. I mean, when oh, yeah. you start breaking it down from the, the Saints, I think that their defense has some questions. They've had injury problems all year. Now the they have secondary. Now strange. they have a quarterback. Uh, we'll see how long Drew Brees is out. I mean, hey, you know what? Well, we'll let's first get a little props to Taysom Hill to coming in today and absolutely dealing against Atlanta. I know Atlanta is no no. Uh, they're not a stout defense, but he came in and he absolutely ran that offense efficient. Yeah, and I thought that was a questionable decision for them. I mean, they signed Jameis for seemingly to back Nothing. up an aging Drew Brees. Like, it seemed like that was their logical play was to have a guy who started for five seasons in the NFL. Granted, none of them great, but nonetheless started for five seasons. Yeah, starting quarterback. And to have him in, on the bench if Drew went down, and then he does, and Taysom Hills announced the starter. I thought it was a crazy move, and I thought that – it was going to be a mistake by the Saints, but he, I mean, he was 17 of 22 for 220 yards. He basically outdueled Matt Ryan, who I think by all accounts, everyone can say is a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. I mean, the Saints next week get, they get the Broncos next week and then the Falcons and then the Eagles after that. So um, you'll see, it'll be interesting to see. Cause I think Drew Brees, I've heard roughly about four weeks. Frankly, I can't believe that with having 11, uh, yeah, 11 they said they expected ribs. him back after the next Falcons game. I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, dude, but I don't know what is that? Tough. I think he had 11, 11 broken ribs and a punctured lung, and they're saying yeah. four weeks for him. I mean, that's a that's a different breed of of person. If you ask me, if you're coming back with that, then hats off to you, Drew Brees. But um, so we'll see what what uh, Taysom Hill does in the next couple of games going forward. Um, but yeah, that it's going to be interesting. And then if after that, you're looking at Seattle, like we said, they've had some major defensive issues until this past week, and they fi- seem to have figured it out. The Packers, defensive issues. Uh, sadly, the Eagles, as of right now, are in the playoffs. God, nobody likes the NFC East. I wish they could just take the whole everybody out of there and nobody gets in. Probably the worst division in the history of the national football league to be completely honest this year yeah i would i mean i can't think of any off the top of my head but they've got to be there they've got to be up there (laughs) it's 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 not going to be competitive whoever gets in and whoever they play i mean it's almost going to come to a point of uh when you're looking at these teams finishing up teams might want to lose the last week of the season so they get to play the eagles dallas breaks a four-game losing streak today and they're back in the playoff mix. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. That just shows how weak that conference is. Or, excuse me, division is. It, there's just – it's painful to watch because it's like you have all these other great teams in the NFL, and you, it's almost like they're the minor league. I mean, I understand they've had some injuries and setbacks, but, I mean, my God, you'd think they'd have something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's truly unbelievable. I mean, every one of those teams in the East has been 
pretty battered. I mean, obviously the the Cowboys lose Dak and the Giants lose uh, lose Saquon. Running, Saquon and and the Eagles have have lost Carson people. Wentz lost his ideology of how to throw football. Yeah, they need to run Jalen Hurts out there so bad. And I uh, their their coach today, Sean, or who's their who's their coach out there? Uh, uh, and Doug is it? Gosh, I can't even think of the Eagles uh, head coach name now. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm completely blanking uh, on the name. Let's see. Doug Peterson. Yeah, I thought sorry, Doug. Doug Peterson came out today and said they didn't want to hurt Carson Wentz's, uh, you know, basically his, his mojo. He didn't want to hurt his feelings by, by not starting him. But I think they've, they've exhausted it with him. There is no life in that team, and they need – need to just play Jalen for a week, in my opinion, and just see what Jalen can do for him. Uh, and then you look at it, and you've got the Bucks and the Rams will play tomorrow night on Monday night. We'll see how that game goes. Both of those teams are solid. I don't think great teams, but very solid teams. And then you're looking at Arizona and the other uh, spots. So there is, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of okay teams, I think, in the NFC. But if you had to – if I had to put money down right now on where my Super Bowl team's coming out of, it's coming out of the AFC. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't know which team had the AFC, but I would assume it is as well. Say yeah, probably, I mean, I, if probably uh, the Chiefs, but if, if you I had, if you if you were holding me to it, and I had to put, you know, if I had to put all the money that I make on on a team, and I had to make a call, I'd probably say the Chiefs right now, um, but. Clearly, there is a lot of football left to be played, and it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun watching the AFC playoffs. There's there's no doubt about that. The NFC is going to be fun too, but I just think that there's so much, so many different styles of teams that you have in the AFC, which I think is what really will make it interesting. Um, and just how yeah. these teams play and when they shake up and start playing each other. Yeah, I agree. I think the AFC is going to be a little bit more of a fist fight where the NFC playoffs will be who can expose the other team's weakness the most. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it'll be uh, – that. that's kind of what what I've got going on there. Uh, let's see. Where's the – out of curiosity, right as we're saying this, you know, you've got the Chiefs and the Raiders are still going. The Chiefs are winning right now. We'll see how that game end, ends up. But So that'll put them squarely in the second seed with – at nine and one, if they hold on, and then a game back of Pittsburgh playing for that top spot. So, uh, Pittsburgh got it. You know, Pittsburgh's an interesting team. I was watching them today uh, with some Pittsburgh fans, and I can't figure out. I know Pittsburgh's 10 and 0, but at the same time, I almost want to say Pittsburgh's slightly a pretender. They've had a really, really weak schedule this year. I mean, the Giants, the Broncos, the Texans, the Eagles, they played they beat the uh Browns obviously in division. Uh they beat the Titans on a uh with the Titans missing a last second field goal. The Ravens had to play at the end of the game to beat them and didn't. Uh they barely beat the Cowboys without Andy Dalton or Dak Prescott and then they beat the Bengals and then they beat up on the Jags today. So they have had an extremely soft soft schedule. And they are 10 and 0 to their credit, but it's pretty unbelievable. And they, uh, they've got the Ravens next Sunday night and or no Thursday night. Sorry. Yes. That's, that looks like it's a Thanksgiving game. You got the Ravens and then Washington, the bills will be a fantastic game with the Steelers and then the Bengals, which sadly won't have 
Joe Burrow anymore, and then the Colts and the Browns. So they'll start fin. They've got three or they've got four legitimate teams down the stretch, and we'll see. I don't think that they're going to finish undefeated uh, by any stretch, and I, I want to see how they play against some more of these quote top teams in the AFC. Yeah, no, I agree. They, I think they're a good team. I don't know if I'd say that they're undefeated. Good to your point. I like. I do think that they've gotten kind of the the good end on the scheduling side. So we'll see. They're, they've got got a lot of football left, but they'll obviously be in the playoffs, and they're obviously not going to be able to glide by there. So we'll find out soon enough if they're the real deal or not. Yep. All righty. Well, I mean, that's that's about what all I have. Um, do you have any uh, any closing remarks here or anything else you want to add in? No. No, it was a, a exciting week in the NFL, but we'll look to um, – get deeper and deeper into the playoff side on college and the NFL as that comes around. So yeah, a lot of good stuff in the next month. Yeah. You get the playoff rankings and then uh, obviously anytime you start getting the holiday season, everybody knows the playoff race in the NFL really starts to tighten up. So uh, it's going to get really exciting, really fast. College basketball starts this week. Uh, it's really exciting for uh, Tennessee fans that college basketball starting might be some distraction for multiple schools away from their football teams um, starting up this week. So that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun starting up on Wednesday night. And then obviously you roll in, you get your Thanksgiving games and then you get your Friday games and of uh, football. And then you go right into Saturday, Sunday. So this is going to be a fantastic week of sports. I hope everybody out there uh, gets to take advantage of the days off of work and time with your family to sit down and enjoy uh, what should be the, this great week of, uh, of sports ahead of us, whoever whoever you do or don't cheer for. Yeah. Yeah, well, everyone enjoy your Thanksgiving and appreciate you spending some time with us this whenever you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, good yeah. luck out there. Exactly. Uh, best of luck to all of your teams. Enjoy your holidays. Everybody, uh, please stay safe. And, and once again, uh, please, please like, review, rate this podcast. Comments are extremely, extremely helpful to us with us just starting out. Uh, we love getting any feedback we can get. We love hearing your ideas on segments. Uh, if there's teams that you want us to look up stuff on and talk about, we'll be glad to to pitch in as best as we can on that. Um, so uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts. It's probably the largest platform that we're out on that you're listening to us on. Uh, so, uh, you know, like, rate, review, subscribe on there or wherever else you can find us. And, uh, and once again, everyone stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. All right.